0: Like how many guys will say that? I'm not sure what I wanna do. Okay, cool, here's one thing you can do and it's 100% universal across the board. Dedicate yourself to excellence. Because if I get to a point Mm -hmm. where it's like, ooh, yeah, this is not the direction I wanna go. If I have dedicated myself to excellence, I still have a ton of options
1: my name is johnny el sasser and i'm a former special operations u.s army ranger and tactical commander to the u.s ambassador's protective detail i have seen the struggle even the most hardened men have faced when they combat their inner demons and i am here to shine a light on those struggles to show that no man is exempt from adversity and internal pain men from all walks of life share their stories of hardship darkness and perseverance so that every man knows that whatever he is going through he is not alone Evolution for men begins now. This is a Soul Fire production. Hey, everyone. Today's guest is Dylan Bain. He's a former teacher turned CPA and is now financial coach and founder of Fiscally Savage. Really great conversation here from somebody who went to food stamps to moving into having wealth and abundance and buying his own home for his family. It was a really cool story to take from Dylan, how he ended up where he is today, how he followed his passion to find out what his purpose was and how he's impacting the world by helping people create their fiscal sovereignty so that they can live a life of freedom. I really love this. And what I took from it was that you know, money does have emotions and it does transfer in that vibrational field. And so if we can find that emotional connection to the money and and where it is in our own lives, we can really change the narrative around calling in the abundance that we deserve. So I love that. All right, everybody, I hope you guys enjoy this episode and I'll see you all around the corner. All right, everyone. Welcome back to the Art of Masculinity. Today, we have Dylan Bain on with us. And he's a former teacher turned CPA and now financial coach and founder of Fiscally Savage. And your story is absolutely very amazing. I had a chance to read it leading up to this podcast. And it's very inspiring to see where you came from to what you're doing now. So excited to have you on the show and talk about some of this stuff.
0: Oh, it's absolutely my pleasure. I'm really excited to be here.
1: Yeah, brother. Well, before we get started, I always run everybody through the manly round. You ready to kick that off?
0: One hundred percent. We're here.
1: <laughs> All right. Your first question is: What is your spirit animal and why?
0: Um, <laughs> kind of depends on the day, but but uh, so if you know, behind me, I've got a boar skull, and so my spirit <laughs> animal is a boar. You know, more or less, just wants to be left alone and eat his food, but will kill you if you get in its way.
1: No, oh, yeah, dude, and they're fucking like sturdy as all hell. I think oh, they can yeah. take like they can take like a nine mil uh, round to their skull and not even get penetrated.
0: I believe. I mean, there's there's a reason why they're feared, right? Like they're yeah. they're like they're <laughs> tanks on hooves that really just want their acorns, but people continue to screw <laughs> with them. And so, like that's that's kind of like the story of my life that for the most part, I really just want to, you know, live in the war in the forest and just do my own thing. But things keep getting in my way. So my spirit animal is boar.
1: <laughs> I love that. That's the first boar, but I, I really like the explanation as well. All right, brother. Your next question is uh imagine you're on a train surrounded by people and this song comes on. What is the song that makes you have to start singing aloud with everybody around you?
0: Oh, so I'm gonna give you I'm gonna give you another non-traditional answer, and it's it's gonna be uh, a "Sea Shanty" by Stan Rogers called Barracks Privateers." <laughs> it's a song that I have sung a lot, uh, particularly late at night at bars. Um, oh, I have a wow. reputation in college of the guy who would like burst into song at bars. So that if that song comes on, it's it's like. The thing I love about it is that it brings everybody together because it's a call and response song. So even people who don't know it will start singing along with you.
1: <laughs> I love that, and that, that's the one that gets you. You're just gonna that yeah, it's, you're busting out.
0: Yeah, more or less. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I love that. Yeah, I love those kinds of songs too. Yeah, I, I, Sweet Caroline's kind of one of those as well.
0: So I like I totally get it, with Sweet Caroline unfortunately i dated a dumpster fire named caroline for like four years and she actually introduced me yeah. to my wife and so like that song is so emotionally loaded that like i've been <laughs> in places where like everybody's singing it and i'm in like the corner like just waiting for it to stop
1: yeah but but see that's like a, you're making a conscious effort to refuse singing it you know you want to sing it everybody wants to sing sweet caroline
0: oh 100 like, like, <laughs> like it's there but like it's it's one of those things of like yes i want to be in community and i want to you know, engage in this really human endeavor of singing. And the other hand, it's just like, yeah, but there's that scars and like, it hurts when it rains. And like, yeah, <laughs>
1: I love that. I love that. All right. Your last question. Uh, imagine you can travel in time and you have to pick somebody who is well known. So well known around the world. Um, who would you choose to prank? And if you know the prank, what would it be?
0: Oh, who would I choose to prank? There are just so many historical figures that I think took themselves far too seriously. But like, (laughs) if I could pull a prank at Napoleon, like that would be like top notch for me. You know, here's a guy who believes him to be God's gift to the battlefield. And if I could pull a prank before he goes off to Russia, like when he's at his absolute prime. So like, and I think the prank that I would, I would want to pull would be like to get him to move his cannons from one side to the other because of how he used to do that. And then just like, like have nothing there, like have them all set and have nothing there, you know, real Potemkin village type of thing.
1: I love that. That's really good. I would send him, uh, like a, um, like a, uh, uh, baby stroller. Cause he was so small. I just like send that to him in the mail.
0: <laughs> you see, that's a joke. Like he wouldn't get right. Like he'd be like, what, what is this thing? <laughs> Yeah, why why, did you bring me this? Why are you
1: sending me a fucking stroller, bro? (laughs) <laughs> oh that's good i love that yeah napoleon would be a fun one there's so many different routes you could go with pranking napoleon for sure from from militaristic to just personal in general because he was so high on himself but so small
0: <laughs> well i mean it, and it's it's just like it's like uh, pranks are all about context right like so right. like but the idea of like this person who's like just takes himself so seriously like i just love seeing those people get taken down a notch
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it's. I think that is also one of the things that honestly plagues men today in general. There's too many men out there that take themselves and life so seriously that it ruins their connection with their family. It ruins their connection with their brothers. It ruins their connection with themselves because they're just so serious about everything.
0: Well, I, I, I could not agree more. And I will add on to it that you have the other barbell, right? The other side of that barbell is they don't take themselves seriously at all. Oh, sure. Right. Yeah. Like we, we we seem to be stuck, like thirsting for the middle ground,
1: <laughs> because yeah. on
0: the one hand, you got those guys who are like, they're just all in on this persona they've created and they're not going to let it go, even when you can quantitatively prove they're wrong. And then mm-hmm. on the other side, you've got the guys who refuse to take themselves seriously, who wear like walking around wearing cat ears. And yeah. then like, what's what, what what's wrong with you, man? Like on both yeah. sides, I want to just like shake these men and be like, man, we've got bigger things to deal with than your ego. Like, let's let's get to work.
1: <laughs> yeah no very true and yeah the 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 gesture is definitely one of the ones that you do uh men that just don't take life seriously enough or in the sense that they don't take themselves seriously enough like have a meaningful impact but i come across more often than not especially in kind of the like alpha world and high octane lifestyle is is dudes take life way too seriously and you're just like dude that is not going to end well for you that's that's where a lot of that toxicity in your own psychology happens
0: oh 100% well and really like let's just be real about what that is that's that's an underlying wound that's oh, that's sure. there in them that's bleeding and they're just trying to pretend they're fine and and like that 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 person is not a good man that is a dangerous man and not dangerous mm-hmm. in a good way like that person is an unhinged cannon and yeah. and so like when I look at people like that, where they're just, they're taking themselves way too seriously, I look at it and be like, man, this is like the worst case scenario for like yes. just, you know, stock masculinity in the world.
1: Yeah. I mean, you're, you're walking on eggshells when you're around a guy like that. And that's where I, nobody to kind of couple with what you're saying about almost being unhinged. They're unpredictable. And that it that is unsafe to everybody else around them, especially the the women in their lives and the children in their lives. Like they're unsafe to be around. There's no safe space for anybody,
0: yeah. Well, and I, I think then that perpetuates uh, you know, a cycle, right? Because that's who people think of, like this mm-hmm. hyper masculinized, like when they talk about the masculine masculinity, which I'm not really a big proponent of that framing. But when they talk about that, that's who they're talking about. Mm-hmm. this this yeah. really wounded man who who really, like, you kind of have to show up for his inner child to help heal him. And he's just not going to let you get close. And so like when I was, when I was a math teacher, like I ran into that with my students, I ran into that with my, you know, the fathers of my students and, you know, being, you know, trying to be a mentor for young men in the educational environment, people were afraid that that's what I was creating. Mm -hmm. And so like, that was like 90% of my job was just like, justifying that these young boys needed a space. And yeah. and to sh- reassure people that I was not manufacturing dangerous people.
1: Yeah, that, that is actually a concept I haven't uh, spoken about too much on the show, but I think that's a very, very eye-opening concept that you've brought to light here is the fact that, especially when it comes to fathers and children, right? Fathers that are in their own um, negative space, they're the ones that are presenting that masculine figure of, really protecting all their insecurities and then they hold their sons accountable to the same standard and they're fucked up then they will advocate even more for their standard to people like you who are like a teacher saying like hey i'm seeing some bad tendencies in the kid and they get more defensive cuz they're the that means that it's the bad tendencies in them that they're passing
0: to their kid oh yeah well i mean like let's be real like i i've got two two lovely daughters and one of the things that i've i've learned and i knew this when i was a teacher too kids learn in one of three ways what you model, what you model, and what you model. So pick whichever one you want to work with, and then go with that, because <laughs> that's it. And so, like, if you when you get young boys who are coming out of these environments where you know this is an ego-driven madman essentially is their their marker for masculinity, then you take them out of that environment and you give them a place where it's much more healthy and integrated. It's like taking somebody out of the cold and putting them into a warm shower. It's painful for them in the beginning. And what ends up happening is that you start raising that young boy into a young man who can hold boundaries, who can hold space, who can feel their heart space. And then they go home to their dad and be like, dad, I don't appreciate you talking to me like that. And mm-hmm. I'm, I don't want to tolerate that anymore. And then, you know, not only does that young boy get it, but <laughs> then they come for me too. Um, and thankfully, <laughs> I'm, I'm not a small individual, so I'm hard to intimidate, but I, I've had my share of that uh, when sure. I was a teacher. Granted, that was many moons ago in a different life for me, but um, I still, I you know, there are very few days that go by that I don't think about those experiences.
1: Wow. Well, let's let's dive a little bit into that. Um, Let's share your story a little bit more, aside from the intro, but from the horse's mouth, uh, for lack of a better term. Let's share your story of how you even got to this place in life where you're helping people establish financial sovereignty in their lives, and talk about where you came from and like man you you have a i think you're going to have a story a lot of people resonate with to be honest so i can't wait for for people to listen to this
0: yeah 100% so i my my wife and i came back from when in 2009 we had a choice stay in the united states and be unemployed or go overseas and have a job and so we mm-hmm. chose the overseas option we went and worked overseas in, in international schools and then we came back um so my wife could go to grad school that was something that i promised her was that i was going to support her through grad school and I was a math teacher at the time, and I became a teacher because I, I had this idea. I didn't serve in the military, but I kind of figured that the soldier, the soldier, insured their countries today, and the teacher insured their countries tomorrow. And that was how I went into the classroom. Of I'm here to to craft citizens for my country. And after about four years at that establishment, so eight years total, my principal calls me into her office and says, um, "I need you to commit fraud so we can keep our graduation rate up." And I, I told her, no, I'm not doing that. That's against my ethics. And she reminded me contracts for next year, haven't come out and you're already working multiple jobs and, you know, maybe you should, you know, take the night off, go spend it with your daughter and and decide what the right thing for her is. Wow. And so like, I go home and like, this is devastating to me because I'm a full-time teacher. So I'm working full-time. I've got extra classes. I'm coaching wrestling. I'm doing summer school. I have two additional jobs. I don't have health insurance for my kids because they had, they covered me, but none of my family. And Mm. I'm still going into debt every single month, like even in the best months. So like my principles got me by the financial testicles. And so I'm, I'm, I go home and I play with my daughter and I put her to bed and I pour myself. It was first a Manhattan and then a whiskey old fashion. Right. Like, and I, I remember those drinks and I'm looking out my back window and I thought to myself, like, there's, there's gotta be more to life. Like there's just got to be more. Like I've done everything right. I followed all the paths, and and what type of man does my daughter need me to be? Mm-hmm. And it was like it was like oh, there was a lightning bolt. Like I had this vision of my life as I'm like looking out my back window at the drainage ditch that was my backyard in my shitty apartment, two doors down from a meth house, and nice. I'm like, no. Like I have this vision of a house with a yard with my kids playing in the backyard laughing while I'm grilling steaks on a grill of food. I could not afford at the time while my wife comes up behind me, gives me a big hug and says, I love what we built. And, and like that, that like infused me, allowed it to possess me. And it was at that point that I decided that I'm I'm no longer going to make lemonade. When life gives me lemons, I'm going to freeze the lemons. I'm going to build a cannon and return fire until life stops giving me ammunition. Mm-hmm. And like I walked back into my principal's office the next day and said, I'm not doing that. And she she looks at me and she goes, well, you're making bad decisions. And then I told her where she could stick the idea and invited (laughs) her to go fuck herself. So that was my last day as a teacher. And (laughs) it was kind of this idea that kicked off this entire thing of like, no, I'm choosing myself. I'm no longer going to do the the civilized approved path. I'm going to go all in on myself, even if I'm using the tools. So what I did is I went back to school. I became the top student. I got a job at one of the largest accounting firms in the world, a job that everyone told me I couldn't get. They all, all my professors told me I was too old, no chance. Mm. So of the big four, I got four offers. (laughs) Mm. Wow. And, and and like, I just, I went into that graduate program with like, no, I'm just going to light the the world on fire. I'm going to be so good that they can't ignore me. And along the way, like I'm having to like budget and I'm having to like, look at myself in the mirror. I'm having to like pep myself up, you know, and, and work through confidence issues but it all comes back down to like, I've got this vision of a house with a yard, with steaks on the grill, with my kids playing, and with a compliment for my wife and how much I wanted to be able to give that to them. And so like that kicked off this five-year period of time in my life where I'm just I'm just in, I'm in the season of grinding. Mm-hmm. And that's brought me to here as people have said, how did you do what you did? Yeah. How did you reinvent yourself to go from food stamps to financial sovereignty? In the course of a few years,
1: mm-hmm. that's beautiful, man. And yeah, I think that's one of the things that we you didn't really mention, but I know as part of your past, is you were on food stamps, right? Like you guys were
0: food stamps, WIC, and rental assistance. And I had a full time job and two additional jobs.
1: So wow, I man. Can. Yeah. It it really like it pains me to hear that's where you were with how much you were doing and you were doing all the right things, but it also makes me so happy to see where you are today and to hear you speak and to, to know how powerful your story is. So thank you for giving a guiding light to a lot of people. But the question I also have for this is, what was it that you could give to somebody or what is it that you can give to somebody that's in that same position now? They know there's something better, but they're so terrified to leave because right now they're barely getting by or they're, they're maybe like you were, you were in debt right, every month, but it's getting by enough where no one's coming and beating down your door, but they know that there's something more. Like, What is it that you can pass along to them?
0: I mean, there's, there's a lot. You know, when, when clients come into Fiscally Savage, I mean, this is a, a common theme. Well, I got golden handcuffs, like they use that term, right? I got golden handcuffs. I, I feel right. like there's something more. Well, like if you go back to my story, like what's the turning point? The turning point isn't the principal uh, asking me to commit fraud, that's the inciting event, sure. But the turning point is I had a vision of a different life. And that vision was profoundly emotional. You know, as I'm sitting there, like thinking about what that yard would look like with my kids playing and and, like, they had a green ball and they, they're they're, they have a dress and I could smell the stakes. I could hear them sizzle. I could feel my wife's arms around me. Like I allowed that to infuse myself. So, you know, for the people who are are saying like, well, I'm stuck. My question is, where do you want to get to? Have you Mm -hmm. ever gone all in on a vision for yourself? And if you haven't, like you're worthy of that vision. Like as men, that's a big part of what we do: is we find this vision, this north star, and then we lead ourselves and the people around us to a better world. Mm-hmm. So the first thing that I would say is like, are you have you been with yourself? Have you gone into your heart space enough that you understand that you are worthy of dreaming bigger than your current possible?
1: Mm. Well, that's that. That would be my. Uh... My counter to you, though, if I'm a guy that's stuck, right? I'm going to say, well, Dylan, how can I imagine something that seems so far away? It doesn't even seem real. How can I place emotion in something that doesn't even seem like it could be real in my life?
0: Fair enough. So then look right where you're at. How do you like where you're at right now? If no, what would be better? Like one small thing, pick one small thing. And I'll, I'll tell you exactly what it was for me. Like, the, like shortly after this, I cleaned my car. Because I, 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 it took me a while to figure out like, okay, I want to go from teaching to the room where it happens in the corporate world. How do I get there with the fastest public accounting? That was the answer. But the first step I did was like, I don't know what the what I'm going to do, but I do know that the type of man that is going to get out of this situation has a clean car. Mm. And so I went in, I cleaned my car and I became real like, and I was driving, <laughs> I was driving a 99 Honda, two-door Honda Civic with 300,000 miles on it. With like Ooh. the felt coming down off the ceiling and like the 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 window on the driver's side would frequently fall off the track. Like I got really good about at taking apart my door to put the window. <laughs> so like this is not a nice car, right? Yeah. You know, like like it was a manual transmission and it had been used so much, like you couldn't see the numbers on top of the gear shifter anymore. <laughs> and I was like, no, I'm just I'm just gonna take pride in this car. I'm gonna take pride in this one rusted bucket. That, you know, there may, this might be not be the nicest car, but this is my car. And the things mm-hmm. that I touch turned to gold. So I'm just going to take care of this car. Mm-hmm. And that's what I did. So like my car was always clean and I wasn't ashamed to give somebody a ride where I'm having to like clean out the front seat and throw everything in the back. Yeah. And like people knew that. And I took it to a car wash. Like, you know, that small thing is a small mindset shift of like, okay, I maybe don't know where I'm going or things don't seem possible, but a clean car is. So I'm just going to start dedicating myself to excellence in all the small places. Mm-hmm. You know, the same yeah. thing was true in my classroom of like, make you know, okay, I walked in and was like, you know what, my desk could use a clean. So I cleaned my desk. You know, I made sure like I took pride in my classroom. I always had, but like it became this newer thing. And as I started doing that, my I found my possible started to expand. You know, as I started being somebody who took myself seriously enough to say, like, I deserve a clean car, I'm going to work, make sure my clothes are like, they're not wrinkled, like, I'm going to make my bed in the morning. Those small things are part like they have a subtle effect on you. And you start thinking Mm -hmm. of yourself as a man of excellence. And then pretty soon possible start opening up for you.
1: Yeah, no, it's really good because. There is uh, enough science behind that where you start organizing your room, people start organizing their desks, they start organizing their cars. It's a reflection of of how their mind is operating. So usually people who... Uh, are trash, there's trash everywhere, their minds are completely scattered. They can't even focus on on one thing. They just have all kinds of shit going on, and it's usually reflected in their outer world. So it's cool that you did that because it was it's a direct correlation to how you started to organize your own mind and focus on one outcome, but you started organizing it with external tools.
0: Yeah, I mean, well, like, you stop and think about it. like the, the the amount of effort for me to go from where I was, like to get the house was fi- was a five-year journey of Mm -hmm. a lot of hours. So like when I was in grad school, I got there at 6 a.m. I didn't leave till 11 p.m. and I did that six days a week, Mm -hmm. right? Like that's a lot of effort. Well, to be able to put out that effort, I have to start cleaning out all the other places that are taking effort. Like finding my car keys. How many times do you lose your car keys? Right, right. So I I created a, a system for myself, which is my EDC tray, which is right by my, so like at this point, like I walk in the door and everything in my pockets goes on that tray. Mm-hmm. And guess what's in my pockets when I walk in the door? My car keys. So, where are my car keys? They're always at the tray. So, I'm never like running around late and stressed out because I can't find my damn car keys. Yeah. So, like, I've taken that one bit of energy of having to find my car keys every morning off the table. Now I have more to reinvent my life.
1: Right. So, your wife takes your car keys and puts it in her purse, and then you're like, where the fuck are my car keys? <laughs>
0: So fun, fun, fun fact. She knows better, <laughs> which brings, which brings you to an interesting point. Like if you're married, you've got to lead your wife in this too, right? Like you got to tell her, yeah. like, don't just set up an EDC trade. Cause she'll come by and be like, damn guys leaving messes everywhere. Like yeah. explain to her what you're doing and why. So like, if my wife needs to go get into my car, she uses the spare key. Like I gave mm-hmm. her the spare key. It's on her key ring. So she doesn't touch my keys. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not because I don't trust my wife. I do. It's that we have a system established,
1: <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Dylan needs to know where his shit is because that keeps him organized.
0: Exactly. Exactly. Like I, I, I know right where my shoes are. And to, to be fair, like for the guys listening, if somebody in 2015, which is when I quit teaching, if saw my life now, like in the, the person I was then versus the person I am now in terms of organization, they would have laughed. Like it just, the idea, the level of organization and uh, energy output that I'm capable of doing that I've learned how to do over these years. Um, like that just was, people did not believe I was going to do what I did. Like, Mm. I just was not an organized guy. Like I had a trashed car half the time I'm running around looking for my car keys. I'm just eating on the go all the time because I wasn't organized enough to pack a lunch. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I was, I was not, I was not. I was very serious about teaching, but I was not serious about anything else.
1: Hmm. Well, when you started, so when you uh, transitioned, so you get, became a CPA, and then you started to, you obviously had to take significant financial control of your household because you needed to see where you were going and you needed to understand where you were at. So, I find this to be a pretty difficult thing for men and and couples in general. Is having the financial conversation without getting into an argument or having the financial conversation in a safe space. How how did you do that with your wife? Or was that always something inherently in your guys' relationship?
0: Um, so if, if I could go back and do it all again, I would do a much better job informing my wife of what I was doing and why. It, you know, being yeah. just dispassionately honest with myself that I, I did not succeed very well there. What I will say though is that like, just go back to your question how do I have a conversation with my wife without starting to fight? Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. So if money was just spreadsheets, nobody fights over spreadsheets. Like I'm an accountant. I, I really right. wish people did like, it'd be fun for me, but they don't, they fight over emotions. And the reason that having a conversation with your wife about money starts a fight is because money is emotional. Mm-hmm. If money wasn't emotional, no one would hire me. <laughs> Like, no, both sides of the ball, like it's your emotional side of your brain that's driving the car. Your logic part of your brain is in the passenger seat, trying to reason with the madman. It's not going to work. So when you're sitting down to actually talk to your wife or talk to even yourself, if you're a single guy, like the emotions of money aren't going to be part of that conversation. So let me give you a good example. Let's say that you're in my situation Money is tight. Uh, things are scarce. I'm going to tell my wife I'm quitting my job. And by the way, I'm quitting all three of my jobs. Mm. And I'm going to go back to school full time. And she's looking at a guy who's disorganized. She's looking at a guy who, you know, has never really, like, we're still going into debt. And I tell her all this and I say, and in order to do this, we're going to be really strict on this budget, right? We're going to have to be really disciplined. And in my mind, I'm sitting there, like I'm, I'm putting out this beautiful vision of hope. but emotionally. On her side, she's hearing, You're going to starve my children. Mm-hmm. That is how her emotions are seeing it because she's seeing the budget as not a statement of shared values. She's seeing it as a restriction of resources. Yeah. And so when you go into these conversations, it's not about the numbers, it's about mm-hmm. the emotions. You have to meet your wife where she is emotionally. And this is an opportunity, man, for you to really like be into your own body and be grounded yourself because you got to do this work for yourself first before you can hold space for somebody else. Mm. And it's it's an invitation to be really curious about your wife and what wound she has around money, because I promise you she does, because you do mm-hmm. too. So that that conversation is a constant refresh of the marriage and refresh of the values and something that's going to be an iterative process. You're not going to get it right. And so one phrase that you can use when, you know, you start getting activated is to say I love you right now. We are on the same team. Let's take a 30-minute break and come back.
1: Hmm. Is should do you recommend um having a conversation prior to even getting into money? About any any maybe wounds that they're carrying from childhood or from upbringings with money. Did you have that conversation, or have you seen people do that prior to even having the conversation about financial
0: uh, budgets? So for for me, it's this is a conversation I've been having for the 14 years I've been with my wife. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that that's that's just flat out how this has gone. Like that is the bed the marriage. Um, you know, one of the things that, that I, you know, to kind of preface this is that like when you go in to get married, it's you, your, your, your future wife, you walk in as two people, you walk out as three, right? There's you, there's your wife and there's the marriage and all three of you have needs. All three of you have wants and all three of you has fears and wounds, right? And you might say, well, the marriage is brand new. Yes. But the marriage is the combination of the two of you. And Mm -hmm. so you're both going to contribute to this. The, the trick here though, is to understand that your own wounding first, you can't hold space for your wife unless you've actually know where your wounds are. And let me give you a great example of this shoes. Shoes are like the, the bane of my existence.
1: <laughs> trust, and trust I, me, I'm a, is that Are you talking about your wife?
0: Well, no, <laughs> no. Like wife? me personally, right? Oh, shoes are your thing. Yeah. So when I, so when I, when I got my corporate job, when I left the public accounting, like I needed a new pair of shoes. And I, like, I went into panic attacks about buying them. Oh, wow. Right. And why? Well, because I wanted to have a really nice, a couple, a couple of nice pairs of shoes to go to work in. And when I was 16, I got, I was given one pair of shoes to go to school, train for wrestling, work on a farm and work on a construction crew. You can imagine how well the cheapest pair of Reeboks held up under those conditions. <laughs> like they literally rotted off my feet. Yeah, exactly. Super well, See, I'm holding them <laughs> together with duct tape, um, and and like the shame of how my mother reacted to me when those shoes fell apart. Right, like you know, here we are, twenty years later, and I'm still panicked about how my mom freaked out about it. Um, you know, now translate that into into my marriage, right? So turns out I freak out about buying anything for myself, which leads me to being sure. less effective. And I think I'm doing something good for my wife because that's what my mom wanted from me. But in really, in reality, I'm stressing her out because I'm not as effective, which means I'm dangerous and unreliable to her. Mm-hmm. Simply because I don't, I don't afford myself the tools I need to succeed as a man. Sure, yeah. And so going through and solving that process not only makes her feel more safe and secure because now I'm well-resourced, but it also shows that I take self-care seriously. So when she says things like, honey, I want to be able to spend money on new clothes for my job. She knows that I'm not going to freak out on her. I'm going to support her. Yeah. And so like being able to have that conversation of you know, spending, of what what's, what's within our values, what are these things, and be able to model that behavior is like step one of having a good conversation with your wife about it.
1: Yeah. No, very, very good, man. I think it, it does. It does need to be step one because those values are what you are going to come together on when you are making a decision for spending money if you are tight every month you know that's something where there's when there's lack of abundance in you know your um for extracurricular things it's you got to have some sort of value system to consult to say hey we come to an agreement on this and to do that in a in a non emotional or a I wouldn't say non emotional because the emotions would come up, but I would say in the most, you know, safe, emotionally safe environment is when those, when that should actually be done. So that way people can actually say, no, we came to this conclusion when we weren't in the heat of an argument or the heat of financial trouble and we made the decision there collectively.
0: 100%. You know, and that budget is a statement of values, you know, that, that, yeah, that will reflect who you are as people. And so, like, when you look at it, you know in you know in my case you know my the the food line is very high right what i spend on groceries is a lot more than the average person why because my wife is very dedicated to having a scratch kitchen and she's very dedicated to good high quality ingredients sure right so that's that's part of the statement of values now what's the trade off to that well part of our values is we don't go out to eat a lot right so like i might go to chipotle like once a month if i'm lucky because she's always going to send food, but this helps. This is part of our values as a family.
1: Yeah, no, that's good. And I think that is that. like, there is give and take. There is that give of saying like, yeah, we will spend more on food, but then there's that, okay, we're not going to go out as often. Number one, because our food's going to be better. We know it's in it. We know it's high quality and stuff like that. Number two, it's unnecessary to just go out. So it's, it's almost like, it's not restricting you as punishment. It's like restricting you as a gift because you're saying the gift is the high quality food.
0: What, well, and, and even to put a finer point on this, right? Like I love Chick-fil-A. Like it's it, like, there are times in my life where I've just like, how did I end up in this drive-through? Like, I don't I don't remember getting here, but like I'm I'm handing over the credit card and buying like five sandwiches, right?
1: You're in Colorado and you guys have Chick-fil-A?
0: Oh yeah, there was a Chick-fil-A oh, in Arizona when I lived there too. It's, it's right oh, down wow. the street from my house. Like I have to drive past it every day, dude. Like <laughs>
1: it's
0: it is so hard. Oh, you're like, but, fuck. And, and my my kids love it too, right? Like they yeah. they just absolutely like adore it and it's expensive and it takes time because those drive throughs are always like crazy. So like, what yeah. do we do instead? Well, I learned to make Chick-fil-A at home, you know? And so I actually, <laughs> I, I worked this out, right? Like I, I worked out what the cost per sandwich was and how much time it took me to do everything. Like the learning curve was big, but like now what I have is it takes me about the same amount of time. It's a fourth of the price. My daughters cook with me. So now what was wasted time in the car is now Papa daughter time. And I'm raising self-sufficient girls who can make, like we make our own bread for the buns. We pickle our own pickles. Wow. Like my seven-year-old can deep fry. (laughs) So like this is the type of thing where I'm looking at is like, not only did I get the Chick-fil-A sandwich, I just made it at home, but now I've invested in my children. I've kept my prices low. And I've, I've walked away with an experience as a father with my kids. How did Uh, I lose in that?
1: Yeah, that's a very, that's a freaking cool way to look at it too. I don't think many people see see it that way. Well, and that's kind of, I want to kind of start moving that conversation in that, in that direction. So guys, guys that are looking at themselves and maybe they're not, they don't consider themselves because we don't get taught finances. We don't get taught how to be fiscally um, intelligent. We have to learn it through experience, usually through trial and error. And then at some point, we either take it upon ourselves to get educated and be good at it, or we continue to be a little better, but not great at it, or we're just really bad, right? Like that's kind of the three buckets I typically see guys go into. And so you're helping guys establish this financial sovereignty. But when you got a guy that's sitting in in old Dylan's shoes and Old Dylan burned the bridges, right? Old old Dylan was or burned the boats. Like you were like, fuck, bro, I'm not going back. I'm getting rid of all three jobs, and I'm committing to a different level because I know in the long term this is going to be better. To those guys, what what are you? What are we telling them? Like, like because that that's a like you said that was a big risk. You told your wife, hey, I'm leaving all three jobs. We're going to have pretty much no income from me. And I'm going back to school, which is going to accrue more debt to then get oh, yeah. a job after. Like, I mean, you had the trifecta of shit laid on your wife for that one, but you got guys who are potentially in the same boat and they are like, Dylan, I hear you. I want to be where you were. I want to burn the boats, but I'm so terrified to burn the boats.
0: So I, I had, I had, I had all the advantages, right? Like I, I had a very clear path. I had some Virgils who were, you know, leading me through the seven circles of hell here. Right. But if you're not in that situation, let me just reframe this. Let's say that you're a W-2 employee or maybe even a 1099, right? right? Yeah. My question to you is who do you work for? And people say, Well, I work for, you know, ABC Inc. or whatever. And the answer, I say, okay, cool. That's your current frame. You're working for a company. You're doing what they asked for you who, and you're adding value to them. Now let's change this. You need to start working for yourself, even if you're a W-2 employee. And what I mean by that is. What are you getting out of this job? Mm. How is it serving you rather than you serving it? So this is the whole thing of like, well, well, you know, people will say, well, you should go above and beyond. No, you shouldn't. You should go above and beyond for you, but not for the company. So staying later and sweeping extra floors, is that actually helping you? Is that serving Mm. you? Don't serve the company, serve yourself. So that you might say to yourself like, well, but the company gets a benefit too. Well, Yeah. But you also get the idea like, if you're staying later to sweet floors, you're taking excellence in yourself, right? You're learning the habit of leaving everything in your life better than you found it. And then if you're looking at it and you say, okay, what are the other opportunities here? So like, if you're working at McDonald's, I actually have a client who works at McDonald's. And (laughs) one of the things I've told him was, you're up the front of the house. You're dealing with uh, this environment that's chaotic. Your boss sucks. So now you get to practice supreme management skills manage yourself. You get to learn how to manage your boss. You get to learn how to deal with customers. And so when now, when he's going to apply, he's currently in the process now of applying for new jobs. He can sit there in an interview and say, I am proficient in managing in 360 degrees and give exact examples of how he did it because mm-hmm. he's, he instead stopped working for McDonald's and started working for himself. How is that job serving me to get to the next level? So if you're in a position where you're like, I can't burn the boards. I can't do what you did. Cool. Can you do that? Can you start mm. looking at where skills you're honing at your job right now? And this, like, once you start down that path, you'll, you'll be shocked at how you get out of bed different in the morning. Yeah. Like I, today is the day I'm going to manage my boss.
1: <laughs> like, <laughs>
0: I've got the power and what's crazy. And I, I've actually, with this gentleman that, that is a current client of mine, what's crazy is everyone looks to him now for guidance. Even his boss, yes. and it's because you know he tells his boss of like, "Here's a problem, and I created a solution. Should I do that?" What does his boss always say? "Uh, sure." Yeah. And it's not lost on everyone else in that franchise that he's the one making decisions now.
1: Mm. That's a so, great way to look at it.
0: Yeah, I, I'm. I'm a big. I'm not a big proponent of grind culture. What I am a big <laughs> proponent of is going all in on yourself. And they look very similar from the outside. If you if but that energetic inside is the. Major key difference between these two places.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, when you when you're going all in for yourself, it's almost like you're not even grinding. You're just showing up and actually following a path that you feel soulfully connected to. Whereas, like when you're grinding, and it's the exact thing of that, you're forcing something. You're forcing yourself to grind something out that ne- doesn't necessarily work with you or make you feel good, but you're doing it because it's more of a have to than a get
0: to. One hundred percent. And, and what's crazy, though, is like, like and, and I'm just going to riff for a second, like, I do a career crafting as well, and like helping people write resumes and prepare for job interviews. And I get people coming in, but like, this is the job I want, but I have none of these skills. Okay, but what do you do right now? So like what it says, you know, you want a proof of good written communication. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, how's your cover letter? <laughs> Did you write a good <laughs> cover letter? Because there's your proof, right? Well, but my job, I don't have a lot of writing. That might be true, but you have a lot of communication right? Okay. So now how can we reframe this for your communication? When I was applying for public accounting jobs, I'm a former teacher. I'm 10 years older than most of my bosses. Like when I got into public accounting, one of the partners actually at the firm that I ended up accepting at, he interviewed me simply because my resume was the most interesting one in the bunch because Mm -hmm. I had this teaching experience. And he sat down across the table from me and goes, why should I hire you? And I looked him right in the eye and I said, because I'm the best communicator you have. Because I've been teaching, and I went through like communicating in the classroom and dealing with parents and working with the regulations of, of the educational system, and he just looked at me and went hired and walked out the door. <laughs> wow! Like, and it, it was. But if you think about it, like if you looked at the job posting for a public accountant, it had nothing in common with what the job posting for a teacher would look like, and yet I had every single one of the skills. Mm-hmm. Why? Because I spent a year dedicating myself to excellence in every little thing.
1: Mm-hmm yeah, and you showed up thinking about how you cross-pollinated to these jobs. So it's like because it's not no job is actually really different. The underlying core values are typically the same, and when you can actually just figure out how to translate your experience to that, you typically hit all the marks.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, like here's here's the deal, like, and this is the other thing. I'm not sure what I want to do. Like how many guys will say that? Like, I'm not sure what I want to do. Okay, cool. Here's one thing you can do, and it's hundred percent universal across the board. Dedicate yourself to excellence. Yeah. You know, when I went, when I went back to school and I burned the, you know, as you said, I, I burned all the, I, I let the bridges I burned light my way home. Right. Like yeah. there was no going back. I lived in a small mountain town in Arizona. Like everybody knew me and everyone knew that I'd burned the bridges at my school. Um, yeah. like it would, for a while, it was kind of legendary in the town. And so I had no other options, but like my thought was like, I'm just going to, here's this class. I'm going to get an A in this class. I'm gonna be the best student in this class. Because if I get to a point where it's like, "Ooh, yeah, this is not the direction I want to go. If I have dedicated myself to excellence, I still have a ton of options. Yeah. I can pivot with excellence.
1: <laughs> yep. Yeah. That's it's, it's so good. And I think that that's where guys really can start to look at their lives a lot differently. I don't think enough of us. I mean, first off guys don't wake up and, and actually look at themselves in typically a positive light. But then especially when they're struggling and they're in a job they don't want to be in, they're not looking at how those skills translate to something they actually do want to do. And I love that you have a different perspective on that. It's like, yeah, okay, you might not be in the best place right now. But how about the fact that you actually can look towards where you want to go and say, okay, well, what am I, what am I experiencing right now that's getting me there? What's helping me move to that location?
0: 100%. And I, I think there's another piece that's worth talking because you, you, I think you hit it in the head. A lot of guys get up in the morning and think of themselves as a piece of shit, right? Like they, they're not excited about it. It's interesting to me though, that we've always forget the social components of change, right? So like, think about the guy at McDonald's. Like everybody complains about the boss, right? Mm-hmm. Now I'm going to come in and I don't care about the boss. The boss is irrelevant to how I'm going to show up. Mm-hmm. Now you're different, right? So now you've changed, you've moved and that social circle you're in is like crabs in a bucket they want to pull you back in right and so like there's yeah. always there is a predictable pattern that happens when you change in a social context number 1 the people around you resist right these are the guys who are going to continue to complain about the boss and try to get you to, to complain about the boss and refuse your positivity right or they start to socially isolate you mm-hmm. the second step is they're going to demand you change back or else or i'm sorry they're going to demand you change back right And how this works out is like, dude, you've changed. You used to be fun, right? There's that social shame. And then there's the third of you'd need to change back or else. Like, I don't want to spend time with you anymore. And you Mm got to look at it and be like, in this season of life, like there's a way out of my current situation and not everything gets to come with me. And this person's in that, in that category, they get to stay Mm -hmm. here and I'm moving on. And so like, I look at everybody I knew when I was a teacher, I'm friends with none of them. They all stayed. They all decided that they were just going to be trapped by the system that they, you know, they, I guarantee you, they're still getting together in the teacher's lounge to complain about everything. Right. That was like a Tuesday tradition, Mm. you know, but as I decided to step out of that and decided to say, no, like I'm excellent. No, I'm going to take this, this seriously. I'm going to be excellent in all things. I went through all of that. And by the end of the time that I left, the the day I turned in my keys and my grade book, nobody talked to me anymore. And that was really hard. You know, That's a yeah. huge component of change.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely, man. That's a that is exactly what happens. Things leave your life and, and people leave your life. And it's it's I mean, when you look at it that way, it's you gotta really just come to the terms that it is all for whatever it's all for the best of whatever path you're on. Those people weren't meant to be there. Those things weren't meant to be there because they weren't gonna be helpful for you achieving what you're trying to achieve. But I love this conversation, man. As we're kind of like winding towards the end here, I wanted to ask you. So part of what you do now is you're helping men uh financially become sovereign within their own life. And you do that through your fiscally savage. I'm very uh interested to hear about how you're like what are you doing to help guys do this? And typically, what's the kind of guy that's coming to you looking for help and support?
0: So, you know, obviously there's a platform, right? Like I'm I'm get, trying to get the message out and and one of the things that I do is I really focus on that emotional aspect of money because that's the trap that people fall into. If it was about spreadsheets, like you can yeah. go to slash tools and get all of my free tools. Like all the yeah. spreadsheets are they're all there, you can download them. If you can make them work and it improves your life, cool, don't hire me. Cuz yeah. you don't need me. But I am at this point I'm doing workshops, I'm putting on classes, I'm I've got my podcast that's going um, and it's just a drip, drip, drip of a lot of the content to say like, Hey, you're worth this. Hey, you, there's a way out. So when people m- make the choice to come to me, there's typically basically three different guys who come to me. There's the guy who's completely stuck and and wants out. Right? Like mm. this guy, he's, he's ready to burn the world to the ground. And a lot of what I'm, I'm doing at that point is being like, okay, let's be smarter about this. Like, <laughs> don't push the red <laughs> button that says self-destruct. Like, <laughs> Um, because, and that, that guy, like he's, he's ready to go, right? Like he wants, he wants the, the epic adventure and he wants to go slay a dragon. And so it's yeah. helping guide them through <laughs> the The second type of guy I get. And, and this is always very tragic. It's the guy who wants to YOLO because he feels he's behind. And and mm-hmm. when I say this, it's the guy who comes to me and is like, Hey, I need a good crypto strategy. And I'm like, okay, but how much money do you have to commit to it? Oh, I don't know. I don't look at that. Okay. So you don't want to do the basics. You want to do like the the high risk gambling aspect of investing, yeah. you know, but why are they doing it? Because they're in their, their mid forties and they realize they have nothing safe for retirement. And they think this is their only way out. And it's not. So a lot of that is, you know, dealing with the emotions and that fear of I'm going to die destitute. Well, yeah. you're not, but YOLOing your way into Bitcoin is not not the path for you right now. Um, and, or you get people who are like, I'm going to, I'm going to invest in Airbnbs. Do you own your own home? Well, no, but I'm going to invest in Airbnbs. Okay. Like (laughs) I used to work in real estate at one point in my life. Like let's back up for a second. These are great strategies, but, but not, maybe not for you right now. Um, so that's the second type of guy. The third type of guy I get is the one who wants me to fix their wife. (laughs) And (laughs) they come in and they're like, I love what you're saying. I just need you to explain it to my wife in a way she'll understand. And, and I, I always, I feel bad for this guy because I'm like, no, the problem is I need to f- help you fix yourself. So you can explain it to your wife. She didn't marry me. <laughs> yeah. um And so those are the, those are where I'm working with couples and I, I will never coach one half of a relationship. That's only going to cause right. a divorce. So it's coaching with both of them. And in that particular case, like in the first case, it's getting the kid to not push the self-destruction button the second case it's making sure that this person doesn't run off a cliff out of desperation and fear and in the third case it's facilitating a conversation that they've put off for years
1: mm, that's awesome man i think i think you covered uh pretty much where i see a lot of people today
0: <laughs> i mean like here's the thing everybody oh. wants to believe that they're a unique special problem and they're not like they're all the same problems yeah. <laughs> like yeah. Like everybody's story, like like my story, like there's a thousand guys who are going to listen to this, who are going to be like, oh yeah, I'm in that, totally in that boat, but I'm unique and there's no way I could possibly do anything Dylan recommended. I hear this all the yeah. time. time.
1: <laughs> yep. Yeah, no, that is, that is very true. We all think we're unique in our problems, but in reality, we're, we're very common within our peers and so many other people can relate to us and we can learn from that. But man, this has been a really great conversation. I truly appreciate your time, brother. I appreciate your wisdom. Um, Let everybody know, we're going to link all this in the show notes, but for everybody listening, let everybody know where to find you, how to be part of your ecosystem, how to get some tools and, and tricks from you, and then obviously how to work with you if they'd like to.
0: So you can find me on social media and Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, all at Fiscally Savage. Um, The Fiscally Savage podcast is wherever you can find podcasts. And you can go to fiscallysavage.com where you can find my suggested readings, my free tools. The website's going to be updated in the first of the year. And we've got a lot of uh, classes and workshops that are coming out in 2023 that will help you take control of your financial life and live free.
1: Oh, I love that, brother. I really love that, and I highly recommend. Obviously, all guys being part of something like this, especially when you can find somebody that you're really relatable with when it comes to money. Somebody like you, who's got a good personality you speak you speak very openly and honest. And that is uh, that is to me means more than anything else because you can get an expert that's like pounding your head against a brick fucking wall, and nobody wants to listen to that guy because you're just falling asleep. But then to get somebody who can relate to you and then you can actually absorb that information to better your life, that's really cool. So definitely highly recommend people looking your way, seeing uh, how they can work with you, Dylan, be part of your workshops. I appreciate you so much, brother. And your last question before you bounce out of here is what does the art of masculinity
0: mean to you? I'm so, I was ready for this question and I'm I'm excited to answer it. The art of masculinity is establishing sovereignty over yourself so you can be service to others.
1: Mm, Damn, that one. That's one of my favorite ones right there, bro. I definitely love that. That's a beautiful way of looking at the art of masculinity. Well, truly grateful for you, brother. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for your wisdom and your expertise. And to everybody listening, as always, remember to drop the ego and stay humble. Until next time.